All right, guys, welcome back in to the Southeast Hoops podcast. It is Wednesday, March the 14th, 2018, and March Madness is officially here. And that's why we're going to continue to roll through uh, the Road Ahead series we've been doing here on SoutheastHoops.com. If you've been over to the website, you've seen the written stuff we've already done, uh, breaking down the, the regions for each of these SEC teams, looking at their path ahead to possibly getting to San Antonio, Written form already. We've looked at Tennessee, Alabama, and Auburn. We're going to dive into audio form for the next one, and that is the Florida Gators. And to do that, we're going to bring in someone who knows a lot about the Florida Gators, and that is Jake Winderman. Uh, does an excellent job. He's the Florida basketball beat reporter for ESPN Gainesville. Does some work for Rivals as well. A bunch of other places. A fellow USBWA member. Uh, we're excited to have Jake on. Jake, uh, how's Dallas treating you so far, my friend? It is. You know, when we were seeing where Florida was going to get sent out to the tournament, you had just absolutely freezing places. They could have gone to Pittsburgh. They, they could have gone to Boise, Idaho. They could have gone to Detroit. And we lucked out in getting sent to uh, surprisingly brisk Dallas. It's, uh, it's pretty beautiful out here. It's been upper 60s, lower 70s, nice breeze. Sun hasn't been too bad. So it's, uh, it's been a nice little vacation before the game starts. Yeah, it's, uh, I think you looked at it, and you know, you've know you got Tennessee there, and we talked about it before we came on. We're talking about the teams that you have there. You've got Tennessee, you've got Florida, and I'm here in Nashville, and I was expecting to see someone like a Tennessee, maybe a Kentucky, something like that, but that didn't happen. Missouri's the lone SEC team here in Nashville, but you've got a great slate of games there, and we'll talk a little bit about more about the teams that, that could potentially play Florida down the road if things go according to plan. But let's start off just with a general thoughts on this Florida team because I know you've seen it. I've seen it all year long. When this team plays to its potential, I just feel like th- there are a lot of teams that are going to have trouble stopping them, how good they are offensively. The problem is that defensively, that just hasn't always been there. Uh, the consistency hasn't been there on that side of the floor. Entering this tournament – how do you kind of see where Florida is right now? Because they finished the regular season with three big wins, and they kind of came out pretty flat against Arkansas. Well, everyone sort of referred to this Florida team, you see, with local media, national media. This is definitely a Jacqueline Hyde sort of type of team. You know, you start off the season so well out in the PK-80 tournament. They score over 100 points in four of their first six games. They look so good in that double overtime contest versus Gonzaga, which ended up being one of the best games of the college basketball season. Almost beat Duke if they hadn't blown that 17 or 18 point lead in the second half. And then after that, you see the three-game losing streak where they lose to Loyola Chicago, who's actually here playing Miami and Dallas this week. You see them lose to Florida State and just some bad losses there. Clemson in the Orange Bowl Classic, you know. It's very interesting when Florida hits ten three pointers or more on the season. I think it's I think they're fifteen and six on the year. But what's interesting about Florida is you see that statistic and you think they're you know this unbelievable three point based team. They live and die by the three. Their best wins this season have been when they've played their best defensive games. You know. Florida got those trans, got those three-point opportunities early in the season and got their offense going because they were forcing so many turnovers. You have Chris Chioza, Kayvon Allen in the backcourt, along with Jalen Hudson, Michael O'Carra, a couple other guards who are some of those athletic guards in the country and are great at filling the passing lanes and getting out there and forcing steals. And as you mentioned, that three-game winning streak at the end of the season against 
Alabama, Kentucky, and Auburn, they forced double-digit turnovers in two out of those three games. And in those games, they're able to lock down and make the other team uncomfortable. And in doing that, they started to force Alabama, Auburn, Kentucky, some of those teams to start firing away from three-point range and try and start playing hero ball. So for as much as you'll hear around the country and from local and national media about how this is a team that lives and dies by the three and that's their identity, you see Florida playing their absolute best basketball when they're hunkering down on defense, forcing turnovers, getting into transition, and making it a fast-paced, uncomfortable game for the opposing team. When you look at this team defensively, Jake, and we talked about it, I mean, I think some people use the word I don't know if it's uninterested or just kind of that consistency hasn't been there on the defensive end of the floor. You, you put out on Twitter today, obviously you're there, Mike White talking before they practice today, uh, talking about it's been hard to kind of get that consistent competitive edge and desire. Mm-hmm. Um, what do you think's been the biggest reason for that? Because that that's something that's kind of been a staple of the Florida program over the years, and now with this team it just feels like there's something a little off there on that side. Well, what's interesting about this roster, as opposed to uh, last season's roster in which they had guys like Cannon Barry, Justin Leon, and Casey Hill, was they were hard-nosed guys who were putting their head into the ground, going for every loose ball, banking on their defense, winning them games, because their offense was not as potent as it was this season from a season ago. And sort of what you've heard Mike White say and some different people around the program is that it's not that these guys don't love basketball. It's not that they're not into it, but it's, it's a quieter bunch who's sort of reserved. And even White said it, after tough losses, he doesn't see the angriness of the team in the locker room. He sees a bunch of, yes, I understand, my bad, I'll fix it next game. So the problem has been getting that consistent motor every single game and getting the team to buy in no matter what opponent they're playing, whether it's a sub-200 Ken Palm opponent or a top-50 Ken Palm opponent or an AP top-25 team. It's sort of been an issue of consistency with this Florida team so far, but what you've seen is when all 12 guys or 11 guys, however deep they go into the roster that game, are all bought in, and we mainly saw it against AP top 25 teams, which you've sort of seen Florida rise up to the occasion, is when they play those high-level teams and when they played in these neutral floor tournaments and when they played against the best competition of the season, that's when they played their best basketball. So I think the thought here is sort of with what Mike White said at the press conference is, as quiet and reserved as these guys have been this season, he said they're going to use it as a positive because this team really hasn't gotten rattled. Even when they've gotten down and in bad situations, they've been able to keep their composure and they've been able to keep it together and not get into these 20-point blowouts like we saw very early in the season. They've done a good job correcting it. So White has tried to be a hard-ass on them. He's tried to be nice. You know, Neither approach has worked to the way that he'd like to see it. So I think there's going to be a lot banking on the fact that this is the NCAA tournament this is Chris Shields' his last season with the Florida Gators after he just passed Irving Walker's all-time assist record at Florida. So I think he's banking a lot on the fact that the sense of urgency will finally kick in for 40 minutes a game in this NCAA tournament. Yeah, and we'll see how that happens against their opponent, which we know now after St. Bonaventure yep. beat UCLA uh, on Tuesday night. A very inter- entertaining game at times, but it was also a game where you looked at St. Bonaventure and you said they could present some challenges without a doubt for Florida. And you talked about a minute ago the ability for Florida to turn people over, maybe turn some defense into offense. St. Bonaventure has done a good job this year taking care of the ball. You look at how they did that against UCLA. They only turned it over six times. Uh, when you look at this St. Bonaventure team, and let's, let's call mm-hmm. it what it is, this has been one of the hottest teams in the country probably over the past couple months. Uh, they have been on fire since about mid-January or so. You look at Courtney Stockard, who scored 26 points last night. 
the combo of Jalen Adams and Matt Mobley, what do you feel like are the biggest challenges that, that the Bonnies are going to present here for Florida? I think the the toughest thing that's going to happen for Florida in this game is that same Bonaventure, essentially something I saw from their Ken Palm profile is St. Bonaventure is forcing their opponents on their, on let's just say Florida's offensive possession or whoever they're playing. They're averaging about 20 seconds per possession on offense. And what that means is St. Bonaventure is, locking down in their 2-3 zone that they play, not allowing the inside penetration that a lot of teams get with 2-3 zones feeding into their bigs because Florida simply doesn't have that big man presence that they've had in previous years. So I think what's going to be the most difficult about this game is Florida plays their best and is their best when they're playing fast-paced basketball, like I mentioned, getting into transition, allowing Chris Chioza to sort of be a, a one-man machine running down the floor with a guard on one side and a wing on the other and the opportunity to penetrate inside or get to the outside for a three-point shot in transition. I think what's going to be the hardest about this game for Florida is the way that St. Bonaventure is going to try and slow down the game, make it more of a half-court game, because that's that's really not where Florida plays their best basketball. They, they're a team who... They like to run. They're not a team who's going to sit down in a half-court zone, work it through their big man, run a set play, and do something of that sort. I mean, they have a set offense, and they run sort of a motion offense where they occasionally will play it into Dante Bassett, Kavarius Hayes to make opportunities for their teammates on the outside. But the hardest part about this game is Florida setting the tempo to their liking because if they're not able to do that, St. Bonaventure will get a control on the game early. And as we've seen with Florida, for as much as they've stayed poised in games they've gone down, they don't always have the consistent offense to do it. I mean, in each of the last four games, they've had at least one four-minute scoring drought. That's simply not what you can have in the NCAA tournament when it's win or go home. Yeah, I completely agree. And then I think when you talk about this draw, too, I think this is important. I mean, St. Bonaventure is one of the most experienced teams in this field, but I think on the mm-hmm. flip side, you talk about a team that's not really that large. And so I think size-wise – not having John Ngbunu, which we've all talked about all year long, could be mm-hmm. one of those things that, that could push Florida over the top, but obviously he's not coming back. Uh, so so getting a team like that, I think, is, is kind of a good place for Florida just because you don't have a team that's overwhelming size-wise. You, you know what you're going to need from, from Keystone, Kavarius, Hayes, and all those guys. But, mm-hmm. Jake, when you look at this game, and I've tried to figure this out mm-hmm. too, and I think there's a bo- bunch of different ways you could go, Who's the most? Who has to be the most important player on the floor? Who's the guy that's kind of going to decide how this game unfolds for Florida? That that needs to play really, really well for them to have a chance to win it. And I think Chris Gios is probably the mm-hmm. obvious answer, but I think beyond that, there's probably a couple other guys that could be just as important there. Well, first off, sort of just stemming to your point about the height advantage, Florida really lucked out in playing St. Bonaventure instead of UCLA. UCLA is actually the fifth tallest team in college basketball. They had four guys who are 6'10 or taller, and that's really something that has posed a problem to Florida this season, limiting offensive rebounds on the other side and limiting second-chance points. But when you look at St. Bonaventure and their most used lineup over the past five games, the average height's only 6'4". That is not an extremely tall team that's going to kill you with their size. But back to your overall point about the guy that needs to step up, I was just talking to my colleague Kobe Silverstein about this and Kevin Brockway, the Gainesville Sun, when we were watching Florida warm up. And honestly, it has to be Jalen Hudson. 
Hudson has been the guy when we saw out in the PK-80 tournament and we saw in the big top 25 games that Florida's played, he is their best bucket getter. He can shoot contested three-pointers. He can get to the rack and draw and ones. And he has, this, he has this ability, which I haven't seen since Kenny Boynton. He's so good at getting fouled when he takes three-pointers. Now, free throw shooting is something Jalen needs to work on. He's below 70%, which doesn't make a lot of sense for how awesome of a shooter he is from beyond the arc in the mid-range. But if Florida wants to make a deep run in this tournament, and they want to get to the second weekend, and they want to have a chance to replicate some of the magic that they saw last season, they need Jalen Hudson to be the guy who can get them 20 points on any given night. You know, Kayvon Allen has the ability to do it. Igor Kulichov has the ability to do it. We saw Keith Stone do it last game against Arkansas, albeit a lot of it was in garbage time. But if there's one guy who can change Florida's situation and who can turn them into, instead of Seth Davis picking them to lose in the first round, to other analysts saying, like, I saw Matt Norlander right on CBSSports.com that Florida's the, I think they're the only team six-seed or higher that he said he could see making the national championship game or a final four run. In my opinion, it all comes down to the offensive production of Jalen Hudson. I think they've only lost two games when he scored 17 points or more, and they're below 500 when he scores 13 or less. Yeah, and that's very interesting to me because I think I can see it like that when we talk about I don't think anybody has any doubt that that Florida has the makeup of a team that can go a long way, but just because of how well we've seen them play at times this year, like you said earlier, going back to the PK-80, how they finish the regular season, you just want to see that sort of continued success on the defensive end of the floor because offensively they're good enough to shoot anyone out of the gym, um, and it's just a matter of seeing how they do on defense. But let's look ahead a little bit here. Uh, let's say Florida gets past St. Bonaventure, then we look at the road uh, ahead for the Gators and what that would look like. And we were talking earlier, you're in Dallas, you've got two teams there that are loving the fact that they're in Dallas, and that's Texas Tech and Stephen F. Austin. Uh, These are two teams as well. When you talk about the overall draw for Florida, the the biggest thing for those two is defense. Texas, uh, Texas Tech has been really good defensively. They're third in adjusted defensive efficiency. We look at Ken Palm. Stephen F. Austin forces more turnovers than any team in the country. You feel like with a guard dominated team like Florida, that's a pretty good potential matchup going forward. Nothing's going to be easy as we know in the tournament. But I feel like, you know, when you look at those two teams, and especially size-wise as well, I don't know that it's a terrible draw for Florida should they get past that first-round game. No, I don't, I don't think it's an awful draw either. And I think a big part of it is going to come down to, as we all know, I, I can't remember if he was first-team or second-team All-American with a USBWA, but it's going to come down to, is Keenan Evans healthy enough to go out and give it his All-American effort that we've seen yep. in games in which they've beaten big-time Big 12 opponents on the road and had strung together such an impressive, surprising season? First of all, shout-out to Chris Beard, who... A lot of people remember him from Arkansas Little Rock when their team came back and beat Purdue and upset them in the first round. That was an awesome game of sort of when his name got on the map nationally. So a lot of credit to Chris Beard. I think when you look at this matchup, it's going to sound like obvious analysis, but of course, Florida would rather play Stephen F. Austin. I think more so because Texas Tech's identity is so much locking you down in the half court and keeping it gritty and keeping it competitive. The thing with Stephen F. Austin, even though you noted that they force more turnovers than basically anybody in college basketball. 
Florida is, I'm not sure because it keeps getting updated every single day, but Florida is definitively in the top four in turnover percentage. They are a right. team that simply values the basketball and does not turn the ball over. I mean, they've only had double-digit turnovers a couple of times this season, and of course a lot of that is a testament to Chris Sios and how important he's been as a floor general to this Florida team, but quite honestly, I think the better matchup is going to come with Stephen F. Austin, when I look at Texas Tech, it reminds me of how elite of a unit Alabama was when Florida played Alabama at home and how great they were on defense and how Florida somewhat struggled at times with elite defenses. So, of course, it's a bit of obvious analysis, but I think it'd be a much better draw with Stephen F. Austin just because Stephen F. Austin's best attribute is exactly what Florida takes away from you on the floor. Yeah, and you said it, and I'm glad you brought it up because that's what I was going to say. When you're looking at reasons why people are high on Florida and give them a really good chance to possibly make a deep run. It's because they don't really beat themselves in terms of being able to take care of the ball. They do a really yep. good job at that, the way they can shoot it. That's why they can be such a dangerous team. And I think that's where we're going to see kind of how things unfold with them along the way. And you mentioned it. When you look at the rest of this region, obviously Villanova's in there as the top seed. You've got Purdue as a two seed. And you mentioned Chris Beard at Texas Tech. Should the Red Raiders advance, they could have that potential matchup again where he's taking on Purdue in a very interesting matchup in the Sweet 16. But, Jake, when you look at this region as a whole, obviously it's Villanova, I think, is going to be the heavy favorite in here. Uh, and looking at how they play and certainly seeming like the most consistent team all season long in the country, uh, how do you kind of see this whole thing unfolding? I know you filled out a bracket already, so you got to start unleashing some picks on us now right there the most noteworthy moments of this bracket. And one thing that I thought was done incorrectly is the fact that I thought Wichita State and uh, West Virginia should have had their seats switched. I know Wichita State has had a fantastic season with all the different players that they've had running through there. And the fact that they were able to go from the MVC into a bigger conference in the AAC and able to have a successful season. But I'm just thinking that as a number five seed with a chip on their shoulder, this might be the season that West Virginia is able to break through. I mean, Javon Carter is clearly one of the best guards in the country. He forces turnovers at an absurd rate. He hits the big shot seemingly whenever West Virginia really needs that big shot. So if I had to look at a seed outside of the top three that I could see advancing to the final four out of this region, I think West Virginia would be a really good surprise pick just because after their first round matchup, there's such a quick turnaround time and trying to replicate that press Virginia style of defense that Bob Huggins plays is nearly impossible. You know, it's easier for big 12 teams when they have a Tuesday game and then they're Saturday. So they have whatever it is, four or five days to prepare in between. But when you only have two days to prepare for Bob Huggins press Virginia defense, and you're coming off a difficult, no matter how easy or hard the NCAA tournament is, the game is going to put a toll on your body. I think just the style that West Virginia plays, they're such a wild card. But when they play their best basketball, they're not a number five seed. They deserve it to be exponentially higher than that. Yeah, and I think it's going to be fascinating. We, we talk about all these different styles of play. Uh, it is going to be fascinating to see how this region unfolds because I think you've got a, a mix in here where you could see a lot of potential upsets and you could see some of these teams kind of make a run uh, pretty deep there in the East region. So, all right, Jake. Well, listen, we've enjoyed it, man. I know you're going to have a very fun time in Dallas. Uh, you get a nice late-night tip there tomorrow night on Thursday uh, against St. Bonaventure. That's going to be a very fun game with the American Airlines Center. Before you go, let everyone know where they can find your work, and I know we'll be talking to you again here soon. 
So you can find all of my Florida basketball-specific work on WRUF.com. That's ESPN Gainesville, the flagship station of the Florida Gators. You can find Florida basketball, football, all the info you need on there. You can also find me over at Inside the Gators, which is Florida's rivals affiliate. I do most of their Florida basketball stuff, some football stuff as well, and some contributing SEC stuff just in general, some power rankings and looks around the league. And besides that, you can also find me on Twitter, just my name, at Jake Winderman, J-A-K-E-W-I-N-D-E. E-R-M-A-N. I'll give you all the best court-storming takes and college basketball opinions you can find out there, and uh, we'll engage you in any debate you're looking to have. There you go. Jake, listen, man, really enjoyed it, and uh, we'll talk to you again here soon. Sounds good. Thanks for having me on. All right, that was the conversation with Jake Winderman, and really enjoyed having Jake on uh, talking about Florida and kind of the road ahead for the Gators because that's been the theme we've been doing over at Southeast Hoops is looking at potential matchups, kind of what the road could be for some of these SEC teams as the league tries to once again get a lot of teams uh, into that second weekend. And as we saw last year, you get three teams into the Elite Eight, have a team going to the Final Four. Uh, So we've been breaking down which teams have the best paths, What are some things, uh, kind of potential roadblocks ahead of some of these teams? And as I mentioned earlier, if you want to already look at the ones we've already done, go over to southeasthoops.com. That's where you'll find the written breakdowns uh, region by region for Tennessee, Alabama, and Auburn thus far. Uh, We'll have more of these coming in audio form. Like I said, some will be in written form, some in audio form. Uh, So Florida will be the first one we've done, obviously, in the audio format, and we'll have some more of those coming here over the next day or so. Uh, So be sure you stay tuned to that so you don't miss any of these and can kind of have a good idea of where teams could land, how some of these teams can advance uh, far into this year's NCAA tournament. So be sure you subscribe to Southeast Tubes. Go over to iTunes, search for Southeast Tubes. That way you don't miss any of the episodes of the podcast. A lot more audio on the way. A lot more written stuff, as usual, over at southeasttubes.com. Be sure you don't miss any of that. A fun time for SEC basketball here in the 2018 NCAA tournament. So thanks, as always, for listening, and I will talk to you guys next time.